the birth of Jesus was such that when Jesus was born into the world, it was like the dawning, like the sun rising over the horizon, the first glimmer of light, light dawning. And in the spiritual sense, Jesus being born was light coming into the world. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. But, um, you know, when, when we think about this all in Christmas time, we will often talk about um, the who of the gospel or the who of Christmas, Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Son of God. And we could talk of the why of Christmas. The why of Christmas, why did God send His Son into the world? And remember, the angel speaking to Joseph said, you shall call His name Jesus. Why? For He shall take away the sins of His people. He shall save His people from their sins. And um, we could talk about the how of Christmas, the how of Christmas, thinking about how was Jesus born, how did it happen? A virgin gave birth in Israel over 2,000 years ago. She gave birth to a child. How? Because this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is a how. But today I want to talk to you a little bit about the where of Christmas. The where. Where did this take place? Uh, we know it took place in the land of Israel. We know it took place in a small town called Bethlehem. That was the city of David where David himself was born. And remember the connection between Jesus and David because Jesus was in the line of David. God had given long ago David a promise saying from you, from your seed will come up one who will be the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords who will rule forever and ever. And after Jesus was born, um, some time passed, and he moved back. His parents were from Nazareth. And Nazareth was in this region of Galilee. And Jesus spent most of his life, um, his childhood, his teenage years, up until the age of 30, in this town of Nazareth. And then from that time, he moved to Capernaum. Now, the scripture we're going to look at is going to talk about the spiritual significance of Jesus coming into the land of Galilee. Now, Bethlehem, I was chatting to my friend Colin, and he was telling me after the service, they're going up to Longabong, okay? That's about 140, 150 kilometers from Cape Town. And up there, that would be about the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem going down south, south of Jerusalem. And from that, remember Mary was pregnant, did that long journey down to Bethlehem, and then from there, they later returned, well, time in Egypt, and then they returned up to Nazareth. And then from Nazareth, this distance of probably about a 50, 60 kilometers from Nazareth to Capernaum, and that's where Jesus established his ministry. Um, Corin, would you read for us the scripture in Matthew chapter 4? 
have in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and of Tali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you. Just for the interest of time, are there any of you that haven't opened Christmas gifts yet? Okay. I'm, I'm going to take cognizance of that. And who of you already have opened a Christmas gift? Boys and girls. Are there any boys and girls that have? Okay, quite a lot of you. Okay. You know, something I do as, as a father of four children, I'm always interested in what are the going gifts at Christmas time. Um, I had that little walk with my son, Micah, and I said, I said, so what do you want for Christmas? And I'm always interested what comes out of their mouth. And listen, it's not always Xbox. I mean, that's been a standard for years. Um, and I'll often, I'll go online, and I'll search, and I'll Google search, what are the presents that kids want in 2022? And what are the gift ideas? And of course, you know, there's some of those age-old ones that every year, the chess set, Rubik's Cube, the international global favorite Lego, and, um, you know, so on and so forth, and the, the magic sets and all those kind of things. But this year, I discovered a new gift that's come onto the market, and I was astonished when I saw this gift, the selfie action figure. And I just had to show you a picture of this because this is like 100% legit. This is what is making waves across the Atlantic in the United States, the selfie action figure. You take pictures of yourself or take pictures of your kid and you upload them onto a website and a few weeks later, they send you back an action figure of your choice. It can be Spider-Man, any Marvel, hero or whoever, and they'll send you back your action figure. Their, their tagline is, make room on your shelf for yourself. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, isn't it? And, you know, I was thinking and I was pondering that, and I was thinking, hey, hang on, hang on. There could be something in this. My little boy, Micah, if I can convince him that he's an action hero, I can get him to do stuff for me. <laughs> son, son, listen, we've got a terrible situation across in the yard, out there in the corner. The dustbin is overflowing. We need a real-life action figure. Can you go sort it out? And I could just think of that. Hey, action hero, listen, we've got a dirty bedroom. We need a vacuum cleaner there. Can you be the super action hero to go sort out? We need a Marvel hero. And parents, you've got to wise up on these things. You don't want technology to leave you behind. Amen? 
So, you know, those are the things that are going around this Christmas. But I want to tell you what is the most remarkable, exciting truth of Christmas is that we've got a real life action hero, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, when God sent His Son into the world, listen, it wasn't like a selfie, but He came in the likeness of you and me. When God sent His Son into the world, His Son came bearing the image of God, but in the image of mankind. And a beautiful truth is that He came and He lived for 33 years, lived among us. And the Bible says we beheld His glory. A beautiful truth. And uh, as Ross was mentioning that scripture, I think the Lord put that on his heart from Isaiah chapter 9, because that is what Matthew is quoting, Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be where? On his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be what? No end. You see, this is a different kind of ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not like any ruler we know, because there's no ruler on earth who would rule forever and ever, who could say of the increase of his government, there will be no end. But of Jesus Christ, the said of his government, there will be no end. He will, his rule will go on and on and on into all eternity. And you see, when you and I say yes to Jesus in our lives, we are saying yes to the Prince of Peace. We're saying yes to one who is wonderful. We're saying yes to a counselor in our life. We're saying yes to someone who is mighty God. And we're receiving a Father. And if you're here this morning and you haven't personally, individually, publicly confessed Christ and chosen Christ as your Savior, I want to give you at the end of this message an opportunity for you to say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want the Prince of Peace in my life. I want the everlasting Father in my life. And Christmas is a beautiful day to accept Jesus Christ. Years ago, when we were leading a church in Cape Town, um, we had an atheist who was somehow connected with a member in the church, and I can remember him arguing in, arguing out, not only with me, but with others. We don't believe this nonsense. This Christianity stuff is garbage. And I can remember him coming to church on Christmas Day. And I was reading a few scriptures just like this wonderful counselor, and looking up and seeing his face there close to the back and just see tears rolling down his eyes. And I believe there is such a thing as saving faith. Saving faith, a moment like this, when you can be sitting, and it doesn't matter how long you've known about Jesus, it doesn't matter what kind of, you know, religion or what kind of beliefs, or I've been brought up in a Christian country, it doesn't matter, but it's when there's something personal that hits home to you and something true, and you realize that this Jesus stuff is real, 
that there's something about this that makes me want to say yes to Jesus. There's something in this that is true. His government is upon his shoulders. He carries the world, and his name is Jesus. And I want to urge you, if you've never made a confession, if you've never called Jesus your Savior, that today you can. You can make the decision. For those of you already who have, this will just confirm your faith even more. Here's Jesus. And uh, you know, that line, I love it, in the shadow of death, light is dawned. Because there's something about the Lord, as you'll see this morning, is that Jesus shines best in the darkest of places. My heart was a very dark place years ago, and Jesus came and shone his light in it. But here in this passage, it's actually, if you look at it, it's actually talking about Galilee. Galilee was the place that God had chosen years before, in the time of Isaiah, that his son would live in that place, that his son would minister in that place, that his son, Jesus, would do his miracles in that place, and that place was called Galilee. If you were to look at a map, you would notice a couple of things about this. Now, let me tell you a few things about Galilee. Just the fact that when Jesus had moved into Galilee, it was the dark, well, it calls it the shadow of death. And that land up there, Galilee, and you can see Capernaum where Jesus moved to. Jesus literally, after leaving Nazareth, he moved right into the, you could say the heart of this region, Galilee, right on the Sea of Galilee. But that area, Galilee, let me tell you something about it historically. Historically, this land was called rubbish. Now, can you imagine living in a country called rubbish? Well, going back in 1 Kings chapter 9, we read of this little transaction between King Solomon and another king on a neighboring region called King Hiram of Tyre. And King Hiram had supplied Solomon with cedar wood and gold and silver and everything he needed to build the temple. And Solomon, his heart is touched, and he says, well, I want to return the favor. I want to give you something back. And so he gives to Hiram, he says, here's a gift of land for you, this area of Galilee. And King Hiram is quite excited, king of Tyre, and so he leaves and he goes to do an inspection of this land that has been gifted to him of Galilee. And he goes, walks around, and he goes looking at these 20 cities that have been given to him. And he says, Solomon, what is this, my brother? What is this that you have given to me? This is rubbish. Now, in that Eastern language, the word he used wasn't such a sweet word. It was the word kabul. He said to Solomon, this whole place here is Kabul, meaning, well, use your imagination. But that is the land where Jesus chose to live. 
the land of Kabul. Socially, Galilee was a very dark and an evil place. You know, Galilee was conquered by the Syrians before Jesus. And the Syrians, of course, they trampled through those places. And that was the first part of Israel that got hit by the Syrians. And it, it was a king named Tiglath-Pileser. And he came in and he devastated, he destroyed that place. Women, children, killed. I mean, there was a lot of bloodshed in that area. And then after that, flattened and destroyed that area, what he did, very interesting, is he took other cultures and other lands, people of other lands that they had dispossessed, and they settled them in this area of Galilee. So there became this real, like, mixed race. That's why if you look in the prophecy, it says Galilee of the Gentiles. And you can imagine for the Jews, they didn't like that, getting mixed up with Gentile races, and that's what happened. I mean, it was so mixed up culturally. In fact, you see when Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee and he went up to that region called the Gadarenes and he gets off and there are people herding pigs. Now, Jews and pigs don't go together. But that was how mixed up the area had become. And of course, all these people had brought their religions, they brought their idols, they brought so spiritually. That is the reason why Jesus was dealing with demons every day. Because there, so much evil had been brought, so much darkness had been brought up into this land of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. Guys, are you getting an idea just how dark this place is? Can you understand what a special thing that God would send His Son to go live in this dark, dark space? Now listen. Geography tells us that this was a depressed place. In fact, if you were to trace and you were to look at the Sea of Galilee, there's a river that flows south called the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized. And that leads into the Dead Sea. And that whole valley, the Jordan Valley, do you know that it's geographically the lowest, lowest place on earth, not ocean, but of land. In fact, if you want to go low, you can't get any lower than to go into that region. It's between 200 and 400 meters below sea level. Even geographically, it was a depressed place. And here's one more thing, prophetically. I want you to look at this, and this is real interesting. It just caught my eye. That scripture that was quoted there by Matthew is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And it says, notice there, it says, the people who, what's the next word? Walked in darkness have seen a great light. But Matthew, when he quotes that prophecy, and I believe this was by the Holy Spirit, is that he quotes it, but he changes the word and he says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And so, 700 years had passed, and the people were no longer just walking in darkness. They were sitting in it. What had happened in those 700 years? The people had given up hope. They were hopeless. 
They said, we'll never get out of this. This darkness is as much part of us as our very lives. And light has dawned. And what an amazing thing when we look at Jesus. And I just want you to, again, and maybe this will just come across to you. In the land of Zebulun, verse 15, and Nathalie, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in a land where death cast its shadow, light has dawned. What a beautiful thing as Jesus began to minister into this land of Galilee. He changed that land socially. He changed that land spiritually. Prophetically, Jesus came in and it was like the sun shining in this dark shadow land. Jesus came in. And men and women, that's what happens in our lives when we allow Jesus to shine in our dark shadows. There's something that dawns. Something comes alive. Light shines in the darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And it's a beautiful thing because I think of Galilee and I think that is the place where Jesus did most of his miracles. It's the place where Jesus did the first miracle where he turned water into wine. It's the place where Jesus walked on water. It's the place where Jesus calmed the storm. It's the place where Jesus fed the 5,000, where Jesus fed the 4,000. It's the place where Jesus raised the dead. It's the place where Jesus called his disciples as his first followers, it's the place where Jesus drew many multitudes. In fact, it tells us in verse 23, if you read there, that Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And news about him spread far. And of course, large crowds followed him wherever he went. And this is what Jesus did. He changed a dark place and shone his light there. And I, I just absolutely love this and I'm enamored with Jesus because I look at the darkness that has been in my own life and in my own soul, how Jesus turned my darkness into light. And I look at my family and I think how Jesus is a family, light has come. And I look at so many of you who have said yes to Jesus. And um, in fact, there are a couple of you here who you've just got testimonies of complete darkness. I was talking to a brother this morning. Lord lifted him out of the street. What an amazing, what a remarkable thing. And I want to just uh, remaining minutes just sh share with you in modern times how the Lord has brought light into dark spaces and to people's lives. There was some of you, and I don't know if you were alive in the 1960s, but it was called the hippie movement. And it was a time of, some of you are nodding, like, I remember that, like yesterday. But um, some of you are like, what? But, you know, that was a time where the world was becoming a different place. It was darkness, and of course, this all originated in um, in America, and then it spread across to Europe and to South Africa, but um, it was people just saying, well, hey, what's the use of getting in the rat race? We're just going to zone out. They were taking hard drugs. That's where LSD became popular, the Beatles, Woodstock, and it was just drugs, sex, and rock and roll. 
It was an incredibly dark time in history. And I believe that the Lord looks to and fro. The Lord looks to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he sees where's a dark space. Now, sometimes that can be an individual, someone like Zacchaeus. But sometimes it can be an entire people group. And these were particularly, you know, 16, 17, 18, 25-year-olds, and you could identify them by the way they dressed. The guys were wearing their hair long. They were wearing, growing these, like, big beards and, you know, torn jeans and like kind of like rossibits and yeah you know it was just that vibe they were called flower children because the drugs and they'd make these little flower chains and hang them everywhere and um, of course when Martin Luther King was assassinated that was a big turning point and there was like the civil rights and sex was just free and open and everything and there was just no holds barred well, you know, the people sitting in darkness saw great light. And this is an amazing thing as the Lord looked from heaven upon this dark thing and they were really congregating in a lot of different places. Southern California was one of them. And God's Spirit began to move upon those people. And that hippie movement, out of it came the Jesus movement, the Jesus people movement. And... Um, this is something that is very close to my heart. I love to study revivals and things and moves of God's Spirit. But here was a powerful one. All these people on Southern California going there to get baptized. God's Spirit began to move in that so mightily. I remember in the 1990s, I'd been in, in uh, California with some surfing friends. And, and someone had given me a book with testimonies from the Jesus People Movement. And I was flying back to Cape Town, uh, and I'm reading this, and I remember sitting on the airplane, I'm reading this book of these people, these testimonies of men and women who got radically saved in that time, who were high on LSD, whose brains were so destroyed by drugs, who were living in gutters, and Jesus came and supernaturally changed and turned their lives. And people were getting saved. There were baptisms, thousands and thousands and thousands of baptisms, just like that one in the picture. And I remember reading this and going, I've got to somehow connect with these people. And um, I found out, and there was a Bible school, a Bible college in Southern California, and I discovered that a lot of those hippies that got saved were leading this college. Corin and I registered there, and of course, we had firsthand experience with a lot of people that had gotten saved through this. And people wonder, I know sometimes we can look down on big mega churches and go, hey, you know, in America it's like, you know, this big 5,000 seat auditorium and we can say, oh, that's not the way to do church, 10,000, 16,000. I used to belong to a church like that. And can I tell you why those churches were so big? Because so many people were getting saved. Small churches were great. They were having to expand. It was radical. And they were putting up these like drug rehab houses and Christian restaurants. And in fact, the church group that we're part of, Calvary Chapel, they were the first guys to play guitars in church. I mean, so even the fact that we had guitars this morning, it has something to do with that Jesus people movement. Guys, this is real stuff. It's radical. And 
I can remember another place, light shining in the darkness. This time in Cape Town, back in the 1990s, the Big Bay Life-Saving Clubhouse was a dark place. Guys were drinking there, partying there, um, having sex with their girlfriends there. And I remember getting together with a group of Christian surfers and going, why don't we make this our base? Why don't we just make this life-saving clubhouse a place where we can proclaim Jesus? We'll hire it on weekends. We'll play Christian music from the top and share the gospel down with surfers and guys beneath. And guys, in two years, we changed that spiritual demographic. In fact, after we started, we used to have Monday nights there, a lot of Josh Jen leaders came to know Jesus or came to know about Jesus, either through a surfer, a friend. Um, in fact, even some of the leaders of, of Brooklyn Congregation, I know guys, I know when they accepted Christ. It was on a Monday night there in the life-saving clubhouse. Jesus turned that place from drinking and boozing. We were breaking bread and taking communion in that place. It's awesome. And, you know, and I think just even going on a little bit further, when Karna finished at Bible school and God was, yeah, like I was so set on, on going to Tableview as a surfer and I just want to start a church in Tableview. This guy beat me to it. In fact, he even took our, our venue we were using there at the Life Saving Clubhouse, Andrew Selly. And so we're driving along one night, it's, it's July, it's raining, pouring, and we took a different way to get to the waterfront. Car and I were going to go out on a date for the evening. And I remember driving on Greenpoint Main Road in 1999, and that street just being lined with prostitutes. And God spoke to both Car and I individually, clearly, and said, I want you to start your church here with these women and these men. And we did. And again, light shone in the darkness. God blessed what we were doing there. And um, in fact, I was pulling out some boxes yesterday and I just found this book. I had totally, totally forgotten about it. But it's called Stories of Living Hope. And someone compiled a book of the Ladies that um, we and others had led to Christ out of prostitution on Greenpoint Main Road. Guys, this stuff is real. And it's happening. And I believe that Jesus is wanting to shine on even more dark spaces in Cape Town and in the Western Cape and abroad. And guys, you and I get to be part of it. Now let me, as I close, I just want to share two ways with you how we can do this. How do we let Jesus shine in our lives? Well, verse 17, it tells us, and it says, from that time, Jesus, so he's moved into the heart of Galilee, he began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repentance is the first step into God's kingdom. It's coming into God's kingdom. To repent is to turn from our old, selfish, selfie-focused way of life and to say, Jesus, I want your light. I want your light in my life. How many of you have messed up in your lives? Like badly. 
No, seriously, the truth now. A lot of us, and you see, to repent is to turn around, to turn our ways from self and pleasure and self-fulfillment and sin and to say yes to Jesus. It's to invite Jesus Christ into our life. And notice that when Jesus is speaking and he's saying repent, why? He gives the reason. The kingdom of heaven is, now when you say at hand, what does that mean? It's umpano. It's close. It's at hand. It's within reach. And you see, Jesus knew, the Bible said Jesus has come at the end of the ages to save us and to deliver us. And so that's the first thing I want to urge you this morning. I want to say, have you repented? Have you turned from your sins? Have you left those things that you are doing that do not please God or honor God and come to Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who gives us new life. And Jesus would die on the cross. He would be crucified between two criminals. And one of them would say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the other one blasphemed him, said, no thanks, I've got my own ways. The one died with hope, the other one died without hope. And you see, all of us in this room are going to face death at some time or another. The shadow of death hangs over every single one of us. Just last night on the way home, Karen was wishing some people a Merry Christmas. And one lady, Karen knows well, responded to her. And she said, I don't know, we haven't been in touch for a few months, but I don't know if you know that my husband had a heart attack. We tried to resuscitate him and we couldn't, and he's dead. Life is short. And this might be your only chance that you ever get to say yes publicly to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross publicly for sinners. We receive him, and when you read the book of Acts, it's people receiving Jesus publicly. I'm going to ask you to stand up where you're sitting to say, I want what Jesus has to offer. I want this shadowy place is my heart, and I want the light of Jesus from today to shine in my life. And you can repent, and you can follow. And the second area is John 8, verse 12, and I'll leave you with this verse. Jesus spoke to them again, and he said, I am the what? The light of the world, the spiritual light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but here's the promise, but have the light of life. When you say yes to Jesus, it's not only turning away from something, but it's turning to something. It's saying, Jesus, I want to become your follower. I want to become your intimate, close disciple. Would you consider and would you this morning describe yourself and say, I am a disciple of Jesus? Because that is really what the Lord calls us to, to become his disciples. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And if you're not, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to stand and say, I want to become, from the 25th of December, 2022, I want to become a true disciple of Jesus. I want his light to shine in my dark spaces every single day. And he will.
So, folk, I want to invite you to this, and I want to encourage you that you and I, we've got a message to take to dark spaces. Don't be afraid of the darkness. We can take out the message. Jesus began to preach the good news. And the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Many years ago, a woman in England had a wayward daughter that was living in sin and she ran away from home. She said, I don't want my mother's faith. I just want to live my life. And she did the prodigal son thing, went to the city and lived a wild life. Her mother began to pray night and day for her salvation and her daughter to come back. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And someone asked her, what are you doing? She said, I'm praying night and day. She said, but is that all? She said, no, there's one other thing I'm also doing. I made a decision never to lock my front door. She would leave the key inside the house, but day and night, her front door would be unlocked. And one night, that daughter came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. She said, I must repent. I must get my life right with Jesus. And she said, I'm going home to my mother. And as she went home, she turned on the door handle, expecting it to be locked. And it opened up. And she walked straight to her mother, fell on her knees, and repented. Men and women, today I want to tell you, the door of salvation is unlocked. It's open. The Bible says that if you shall confess the Lord Jesus as Lord, that you will be saved. So won't you bow your heads with me and, and you here this morning, and I want to ask you to stand up to say yes to Jesus.